All right, welcome back everybody. Episode number 17 of the Plumecast. Thank you guys all again for for listening, for stopping by, for watching my videos throughout the week. And if you're new here, this is your first time here. Thank you for for clicking on the video. Thank you for stopping by and listening. If you enjoy this content, consider hitting that subscribe button to help this channel grow, help grow this community. And check out my channel. I do daily uploads Monday to Friday, and then I have this podcast on Sunday, my weekly gaming news podcast. So it's been a very, very fun week for me in terms of playing video games because it's been one of the best weeks, I would say, of this year in terms of just the amount of awesome stuff that we got to play. I've been playing, I'm, I'm kind of going a little bit off here. I usually start off talking about my beer, but I'm going to tell you, tell you what I'm playing first. So I've been playing this week. I've been playing, I finished uh, Death's Door and boy, oh boy, Death's Door is right now my game of the year, potentially. Like it is, it was that good. I had so much fun with it and I still, I finished the main campaign and all that kind of stuff and, and got a bunch of collectibles, but I still have a lot to finish throughout it like a lot of achievements i can get and just a lot of other things that i haven't collected yet but it took me like i don't know like 10 hours to beat 10 11 hours to beat so it's a, a decent a decent length game for the price you're paying for it because it was like 22 bucks canadian for me and man it is such a great game and the fact that it's made by two people absolutely blows me away it's like a zelda clone with semi dark soulies like combat but not really like it's not that hard it's not that hard of a game it's it's more like a zelda game than a dark souls game and i think that's why i love it so much because i'm a huge zelda fan if you don't know that about me i know i do xbox content but i'm a massive zelda fan i love all the zelda games my favorite zelda games like my favorite style are a link to the past and a link between worlds those two are probably my top Zelda games. I absolutely love that style of game. And Link's Awakening, that one was one of my favorite ones too. So those style of Zelda games are my favorite. And this in Death Store really reminded me of that. And they did just such a great job with the graphics. The story is funny. It's quirky. The characters, the the enemies are all so unique and, and just awesome. And it's up there as my game of the year right now. I can't lie. Like, it's that, that good. So if you haven't checked out Death Store, you like Zelda games, I would 150% recommend checking it out. It's worth every single dollar that you pay for it. The next game that I started, and I haven't had that much time to put into it, but from what I played, I really did enjoy it, was The Ascent. The Ascent came out finally on Xbox Game Pass and a cyberpunk stick shooter uh like with the isometric view RPG and just it's from what I've played. I love the atmosphere. I love the gear that you, the early gear that you got looks super cool. I love the graphics, the story, all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to jump further into that game. And then finally the thing that I, after being death store, I put most of my time into was the halo infinite tech preview. I'm going to talk about more of that on this podcast my thoughts on it but man oh man man like i was excited for halo more than any other game more than for before this and i was excited for this game for for a couple years now and after playing this tech preview i didn't think that my excitement would get even more but it has so that's kind of preview of what i think about halo infinite's multiplayer right now it's awesome like i'll i'll spoiler alert it's awesome but yeah so that's what i've been playing this week so it's been a really really awesome week of gaming and i find that when there's like 
such great stuff to play. My like overall attitude and morale in life just goes up. I don't know. It just makes me, I'm just so happy to play all these amazing games and how good they are all are. So it's been a great week for gaming. Now, every week on the podcast, I drink a beer and I think I've had this one on the podcast before. I just haven't gotten out to get like a bunch of other beers yet, but it is Innocent Gun, which is a Scottish beer and it's, it's in a bourbon barrel, Scottish ale. What is, this is probably my favorite beer or like my top five favorite beers. I absolutely love Innocent Gun and especially just the original one. It, it's so good. All of their beers are like, have different like, like flavoring to it, like whiskey, bourbon, um, there's like a mango IPA and stuff like that, which is actually really good. And I'm, and I don't love all IPAs, but there's definitely select few that I really, really do like. And that mango one is actually really good. So yeah, innocent gun. I'm sure other people have had it out there. If you, if you've had innocent gun, let me know what you think about it. If you like the beer, if you're from Scotland, what does innocent gun taste like in Scotland? Is it better? And are there better beers than innocent gun in Scotland that, that I should be trying out? Um, but uh, yeah, let me know. Every week, like I ask, let me know what you guys are. Let me know what you're drinking and if you have any suggestions for me to pick up and I will um, keep my eye out on that. Now, in terms of topics this week, I think there's only going to be like three topics that I'm going to go over. They're longer, so there's multiple topics within those topics. But overall, I'm going to break it down into I think three, maybe four. We'll see when I do the timestamps. But um, there's the uh, PlayStation 5 SSD stuff I want to talk about again. I made a video on it, but I want to talk about that again because I'm kind of, I guess I'm a little bit passionate about that and uh, and how just badly designed I think the PS5 is and that being one of the terrible quality of life issues right now uh, that is plaguing the PlayStation 5. Um, the the game passed out. Like There's been game passed out this week and there's there's more stuff more information talking about there was an article in uh, on Eurogamer that I want to go over as well as some delays from PlayStation and then finally I want to talk about Halo Infinite and the tech preview and my overall thoughts on that so that's what we have on top this week so let's jump right into it all right so jumping over here to a topic that I made a video about this week and it is the fact that the PlayStation 5 finally has got the M.2 SSD expansion slot on the PS5 enabled, but only right now for beta users. So as we know, when they showed the breakdown of the PS5, they showed the teardown, they announced that you would be able to expand your SSD storage with any off-the-shelf SSD that met the requirements that Sony put out. However, this expansion slot was not going to be available at the launch of the PlayStation 5. We are now at the end of July, and they finally provided all of those requirements, but they're currently going to be testing this out for beta users. And my only reasoning to why they would be doing this is probably because they want to see exactly how it functions in the wild and if there are going to be any other issues with this slot going forward with the PS5 and maybe to see how many people actually follow these requirements and how many people ruin or overheat their PS5 or something like that by putting in an SSD that doesn't work. I'm not sure why they would beta test it. I mean, this is something people have been waiting for since the launch we know there isn't that much space on the internal ssd on the ps5 so it is definitely something that is very needed if you are a playstation 5 owner but they put out the announcement and the requirements in general to me i mean i made the video about it i went over the basic requirements that you need to know you need to know the size of the ssd you need to know the speeds of the ssd and you have to have some sort of cooling solution so a heat sink with the ssd that you 
put into your PlayStation 5. So you can buy like the proper device, the proper storage device that meets all of the speed and size requirements, but you need to make sure that you additionally buy a heatsink if it doesn't come with it. So all that being said, to me, this is kind of, it's, it's, it further proves that the PlayStation 5 is just not a good, well-designed console. There, a lot of people have been coming back at this and saying things like, well, the reason it's like this is because the PlayStation 5 is more like a PC in the sense of being able to upgrade your external SSD. And to me, that is an invalid argument when trying to defend what is going on here with the expansion of this memory, because it's a console. Consoles are not supposed to be like PCs. They aren't supposed to have, you're not supposed to have to upgrade it in the similar way that you upgrade a PC. That's why there's gaming PCs out there. If you wanted to add M.2 SSD to your gaming PC, you need a heatsink. You need all of these types of things to make sure that it runs properly. It needs to be compatible with your motherboard, all that stuff. And that's perfectly fine for a gaming PC. Like I have a gaming PC as well. And I have to look at all these requirements if I ever want to upgrade it, and I'm completely okay with that. But when you're comparing the PlayStation 5 solution to this to the Xbox Series X's and Xbox Series S's solution, it's night and day just how much better the Xbox is than the PS5 when it comes to quality of life features, it comes to upgrading the external storage. And I talked about all this in my video. I know I've said that a bunch of times already, and I just harken back to the video I made months ago saying that the Xbox was the better built console and clearly is the better built console. But what PlayStation is doing here is somewhat concerning if you're a current owner of the PS5, in my opinion, because it really seems like this console was rushed out. It really seems like they overlooked a bunch of stuff. They didn't take into account the probably the heats that the this external m.2 ssd is going to output with the heat that is currently being output with the PlayStation 5. And that is why you need the heatsink. That's why they may increase the fan speed, all that type of stuff. And they're putting the onus on the user, which as a PlayStation 5 owner, to me, that's kind of unacceptable because if you go through all the requirements and I got to get to the right spot here, you go down, shows you the heatsink, shows you how to install it, all that kind of stuff. But then they have in bold saying that SIE cannot guarantee that all M.2 SSD devices, meaning the described specifications will work with your console and assumes no responsibility for the selection, performance, and use of third-party products. But at the end of the day, all the SSDs that currently work with the PlayStation 5 that currently meet the requirements are third-party products, meaning that they're pretty much saying that any expansion you put to your ssd if it destroys your playstation 5 they're going to take no responsibility if you call in and say hey my playstation 5 is overheated it doesn't work anymore and the ssd slot i added an ssd and that is why it happened they're going to take no responsibility and who knows if that will void your warranty or not and that to me that's concerning because they built a console where you're they're pretty much setting you up to fail at the end of the day if you don't specifically go through all of these requirements and make sure that everything works properly even though they give you that slot that is readily available and why i think that is a problem again is because this is a console we look at what xbox did with the memory card style ssd expansion now the negative argument towards that is that it's proprietary and that Xbox controls the size, the price, all that kind of stuff when it comes to that. Kind of reminds you back with the PS Vita memory cards, which were probably the killers for 
the PlayStation Vita when that came out, how Sony released their proprietary memory card, didn't let you just put it in a, in a SD card instead. And I think that was a big killer because of the price of that stuff. And then you look at what Xbox is doing with their memory cards. Yes, proprietary. Yes, they are expensive. I believe 220 US dollars for that expansion card. And you have to get that card to expand the SSD storage. However, Jason Ronald has previously said, I mentioned this in my video, in an Xbox Wire interview that they are looking for different sizes, different options for those cards, which I take it as the cards are going to have maybe a 500 gigabyte, maybe a four terabyte, something like that. And there's going to be different manufacturers that create can create these cards, which will create competition, which will reduce the price. Now, when it comes to the cards pricing as well, I've already seen price reductions like in Canada, they're 299. I've already seen it go down to 279. I think that's the lowest I've seen it, maybe 269. I'm not sure. But when you compare the price of those cards currently on the Xbox, and then you compare the prices to the M.2 SSDs that are compatible with the PlayStation 5, they're virtually the same price. Like there isn't a big difference between the pricing. In fact, a lot of the great SSDs that you'd want to add to your PS5 are going to be more expensive because you have to add on that heatsink. So to me, it's just a terrible solution. And it tells me that Sony didn't really think about all of these quality of life features. It tells me that they probably rushed out the PS5 design. And I think that in the next couple of years, there will be, I mean, I say next couple of years, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a year from now, there is a completely redesigned PlayStation 5 that really fixed a lot of the issues that is that is plaguing it. Like, just like the stand they've already kind of done it they're already doing a remodel for the stand and the weight of the digital version but i i would see another model that comes out without even having a separate stand smaller a better solution for the ssd where it's not going to be as cumbersome it's not going to be as critical um, in terms of the heat of the console itself just st stuff like that because I, and I'm I'm a PlayStation 5 owner. I, I know people, they watched my video previously and there, generally it was good conversation. Generally, it, there wasn't too much hate, but some of the haters on there thought that like, I'm just being an Xbox fanboy and that I don't own a PlayStation 5. I own a PlayStation 5. Like I own every single console and the PS5 is, is not a well-built console. It's not a good console. Like at the end of the day, it just isn't in terms of its design and its functionality. It just really isn't. There's a lot of things missing from the ps5 that are that is available on the xbox and it's it's like the companies did an exact swap from last generation so last generation and this is kind of shows my my stance where if xbox were to if the xbox series x had the same flaws as the ps5 this generation i would definitely be calling it out and talking about it but last generation i didn't buy an xbox one at launch i bought a playstation 4 at launch i bought an xbox one when sunset overdrive came out and oh no sorry when the master chief collection came out i bought the sunset overdrive xbox one edition which was one of the best games that I played last generation sunset overdrive. So I think that was about, I don't have dates for me, but I think that was about a year after the launch of the Xbox one. And there is all the debacle of the, the master chief collection, how terrible it was a launch compared to what it is today. But I didn't buy the Xbox one at launch. I bought the PS4 at launch and I was a PlayStation gamer for the first year, year and a half of last gen. And then I got the Xbox one played master chief played sunset overdrive. 
kind of fell back into my love of the Xbox ecosystem, the Xbox like friends list, Xbox Live, achievements, just the user interface. I've always I've, I like it more than a PlayStation. So then I kind of semi like played both on playstation 4 playstation 5 and then the xbox one x dropped and i pretty much just played on my xbox ever since then but it's not like i am somebody who will support a badly designed console no matter if it's an xbox console so the xbox one when it first launched i thought was terrible like the the big vcr it was un, it was less powerful than the ps4 they were pushing the connect on you so i just said hey i'm not buying it because it isn't that well designed it isn't a console that i want to support right now because there's so many things wrong with it and i want to wait until they improve it the version i got didn't have the connect and um it was still the vcr it was a white version and i still found even when i got it i still thought it was big and in I mean, it was it took up a lot of space, but I still think it looked better than what the PS5 is right now. In fact, it's it's smaller than the PS5. I have a picture up on my Instagram where you can see I put the PS5 on top of my Xbox One and I was just absolutely amazed that the PS5 was bigger than the original VCR Xbox One. But my point to saying all of this is that these are all things with the PS5 that are very bad. This isn't I'm I don't want to pretend like this is something that we should be like dancing around like oh whatever it's like a it's like a pc you can upgrade it like um anybody can just watch like a a video and figure out how to do it and all that kind of stuff it's like no this is a console it should not be like that because what if a a kid wants to do this who isn't technically savvy at all the chances are that they're going to screw it up or probably pretty high what or like the kid wants to do so their mom goes out and buys them the expansion maybe for christmas maybe for their birthday the chances are that the ssd they get for their ps5 isn't going to be compatible and are they going to be able to properly insert it into the ps5 i don't know i have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to ruin or going to hurt their ps5 in some sort because of all of these requirements that they have to follow in order to make sure that they have the right SSD. And that to me is a major problem, especially when you're comparing it to the plug and play memory card style SSD of the Xbox Series X. On top of that, you could take that memory card and you can swap it to any Xbox you want. You can bring it over to your friend's house. It is just, it's like, it's not even close how much better of a solution the Xbox's solution is. And People always love to give Sony so much credit. One thing is like because they does people love to give them credit for their design, their engineering. A lot of people think because it's a Japanese company that they are significantly better than Xbox at hardware because they've been in the hardware game longer. They're a hardware company, and a lot of people think because they're Japanese, they all they make way better stuff. It kind of reminds me of vehicles today, where Everyone still has that old that old kind of thought that any vehicle made in Japan is better than any vehicle or any vehicle from a Japanese company is better than any vehicle from a North American company where the fact of the matter is a lot of the companies a lot of the cars in North America like Chevy so I guess specifically Chevy because my car is a Chevy right now but it was made in Korea. It's an Asian made car. So it's like none of that stuff matters. You need to look at the specific product itself and you need to judge it on how it is and how it functions and all the features inside of it. And I just think that like the PS5 missed the boat on a lot of the stuff. 
The fact that it's still sold 10 million units is a testament to just how strong the brand is, how loyal their fans are, and how they don't care whatever is put out. They will go out and buy it. It could literally be the worst thing ever. They'll run out and buy it. And that's a, I guess, testament, like I said, to their fan base. But also, it's kind of a bad thing for the future of these products because Sony knows that they can do whatever they want. They can have all of these mishaps. They can screw up the launch. They can beta test on their users the M.2 SSD drives and put all of the liability on the user if if they break their PS5 by not doing it properly, but their fans will still defend it and still run out and give them all of their money. And I, I don't think that's a good thing. And um, that's one of the main reasons why I've really am supporting Xbox this generation for sure because they've made they made so many changes from the last generation. They've been completely consumer friendly and they listen to their community. If I was somebody who mainly or only gamed on the PS5, I would be super upset with this solution. Not because I wouldn't be able to figure out, like I would 100% be able to figure out how to get the right M.2 SSD, install it, all that kind of stuff, but just because it's a console. I have a gaming PC if I want to do all this stuff. It should be easy. It should be plug and play. It should be nothing that we really have to think about. Consoles have really always been like that. And that's the point of them is that anybody can pick it up. Anybody can play it and anybody can plug it into, into their TV and get it working and don't and won't have to tinker with it. So that's kind of my beef with the PS5 itself, with the build, with the design. There's nothing to do with me preferring Xbox. It has nothing to do with me uh, playing mainly on my Xbox console. It just, it, it's just in my opinion bad. So that's what I think about it. And, uh, I haven't heard one good argument for this yet. Like I haven't heard one good, one good logical comeback or one good logical explanation as to why this is a good thing. Like even like, cause the pricing thing doesn't make any sense. It being more like a PC doesn't make any sense. The speeds of the SSD doesn't really make any sense. I mean, how much how much faster are these SSDs actually going to make your PS5 compared to the Xbox? We've already seen just how close the load times are between the two consoles. Like, there's barely any difference. So, I haven't heard one good logical argument. And I would love if if you guys are listening to this and you think I'm a complete idiot, and I've said on all my my videos that I'm not a crazy technical person or anything, give me one good logical argument, and I would love to hear. It. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. Okay, so jumping over here to this next topic, it's going to be kind of a mishmash between some Xbox stuff, some PlayStation stuff, just talking about the overall status or health of both of these consoles, both of these companies right now, when it comes to the different strategies that each one is employing. Obviously, with Xbox, they have the subscription model. That's what they're going with going forward, where you're going to be able to access Game Pass pretty much anywhere. And then you have PlayStation, who is still on putting out their exclusives on PlayStation 5 and making people go out and spend on the hardware in order to access their games. Now, there is the, the continued debate as to whether any of this is viable, especially with the Xbox side. Like People still think that Xbox Game Pass is not a viable solution going forward because they are wondering how Xbox is making money. But there are plenty of times, so Spencer has talked about how they're making money and how 
Game Pass is being profitable right now. Their revenues are increasing. Their subscriptions continue to go up. So all the kind of stuff is pointing towards Game Pass being a success. But I can definitely understand the other side of the coin where people are wondering because of the fact that games are so expensive to make these days, how can they sustain a system where you can pay $1 to access it for three months? And then if you pay that $1 after those three months, are you going to stay on? What I think happens with a lot of those $1 subscribers is that they subscribe to Xbox Game Pass in order to play a certain game that they want to play or just check out the service in general. And then once they're in, they don't even really realize that that three months is up and then they continue to subscribe and play games on Game Pass because of how great of a deal and how great of a service it is and how many good games are on the service itself. And then as games start to come out that are first party Xbox game studio games, especially this fall with Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite, people are just going to stay subscribed once they also realize that you're only paying, what, 10 to $15 a month for a service that's giving you such amount of value. I don't think the majority of people have any issue with that. In fact, they'll be happy to pay for that service and then stop paying full price for games down the line. But there was this article here on Eurogamer that came out. Now, to be completely honest, it's an opinion piece and there isn't too much like backing up of his opinion from what he says here. He uses one example, but it is somewhat interesting in the sense that what we are seeing with games that come out on to PlayStation, come out onto Xbox Game Pass and come out onto Xbox as a standalone version if you want to buy it and just how well they are still doing in terms of sale. So he talked, it's about MLB The Show 21 and it says here how can something so good value something that offers all microsoft's first party games and an increasing number of third party games day and date make financial sense obviously referring to xbox game pass here and we saw earlier this week with sean Layden coming out and thinking that there is no way really that the subscription model was sustainable within the video game industry him saying it's very hard to launch a 120 million dollar game on a subscription service charging 9.99 a month you pencil it out you're going to have to have 500 million subscribers before you start to recoup your investment that's why right now you need to take a loss leaving position to try grow the base but still if you have only 250 million consoles out there you're not going to get half a billion subscribers so how do you circle that square nobody has figured that out yet and I made a video talking about this and his comment is definitely off base, especially with the second half of it, because he's focusing specifically on consoles and the subscription model within a console. When with Xbox, it's they've already kind of figured this out by putting Game Pass out onto multiple devices. We are even now seeing that they're going to be putting out a smart TV app and a streaming stick. They mentioned that they wanted to do that. In fact, there was this article that just came out on 9to5Google showing that the Xbox Game Pass logo app or whatever is actually now able to show up on the home screen for android and google tv so previously i believe you have to sideload this onto android tv because as we know game pass does support android tv or does support android but if you wanted it on your android tv device you would have to sideload it on to it and it's it does, didn't function very well i believe even right now it's still having a lot of issues with functioning but they're saying here that the latest update to xbox game pass for android version 2107 which is now in the placer has started the path for official android tv support so previously the you could only access the app like i said when it was siloed and then you had to put in some special code or whatever to have it show up on the home screen but now apparently on android tv 
you don't have to do that. So they're saying here, Microsoft is making an effort for the app to appear in a place where it can be easily accessed is a clear sign that the company may have changed its mind when it comes to Android TV support. So the Xbox Game Pass app and add on Android TV, you don't have to go through all of the side stuff in order for it to show up on the home screen, which is a small step into getting Game Pass onto more devices, onto streaming apps, onto smart TVs, and a streaming stick in the future, although there still needs to be a lot of optimization for this app on Android TV because apparently it still does not run well. But you can best believe that Xbox is focusing on and working towards getting the Game Pass up anywhere where it will be accepted, like anywhere that people are going to be able to access their games and where there is a decent install base, they're going to want to get the app out there. And it's going to be all through the technology of xCloud where you're going to be able to play these games but for a lot of people that's all they need like we always forget the fact that yes consoles sell millions and millions and millions every single generation but the amount of people that play games that is still such a small amount of people if you think about the amount of people out there with just a cell phone in their hands that play games now and people say oh i don't consider those gamers because they're casual gamers but the truth of the matter is they still play video games they are still a customer that all of these companies are going to try to acquire at some point because to them it's just more money in their pocket if they acquire them and xbox and microsoft they're going to try to do that they're going to try to acquire all of the people outside of the console market as well as the people within the console market so that is how they're that's their answer to what sean Layden is talking about here saying that he doesn't see how anybody's figured it out yet in terms of getting people to, to grow that base of gamers when you only have 250 million consoles out there. But he's focusing solely on consoles. And I'm not sure why he's saying this. Maybe he meant like something different through that or maybe he was focusing on something very specific in, in the total context of what he was saying. But... I also think maybe it's because of the new board he's a part of. Their games that they work on may not be coming out on subscription models. They may be only coming out for full price release. So he kind of has to deter people from kind of thinking about that subscription model and thinking about getting them in the mindset that if you want to play some of these games, you're going to go out and have to purchase them at full price. That's just my my assumption or guess on that. It may not be the truth, but that's that's kind of what I think when he's saying that because it's pretty obvious in my opinion, that yes, Xbox Game Pass instantly isn't making them a ton and ton of money, but they are they are being profitable. They are growing, and Microsoft is fully behind Xbox Game Pass. Like Satya Nadella has said that he is. They're all for games right now. They're all fully into games. And when you're a two trillion dollar company, you have a lot of time in order to grow this thing. A lot of time in order to make mistakes a lot of money to spare where you can invest a ton of money and a ton of time and grow the, make sure that it succeeds in the future. Whether that is taking a loss now for it to be extremely profitable in the future, you can do that if you're a $2 trillion company. And here's the thing, the amount of money that Xbox and, and Microsoft are going to make in the long run with Xbox Game Pass and their subscription services is going to far outweigh any of the short-term money that these games make when they release and they have their launch period, their launch month or whatever, and they sell millions of copies. And then the sales of those games, 
like dwindle completely like it goes from like it's like a graph it goes way up and then goes just down and then flat right the amount of money that the subscription model is going to make over the next 10 years is going to be substantially more than the amount of money these games make one pop at a time now when it comes to mlb the show 21 as we know it came out it's it was previously a playstation exclusive game it's made by a playstation owned studio san diego studios and in my opinion one of the best sports games out there and obviously the best baseball game out there because i don't think there's any other simulation baseball games that are available but in general as a total package it is easily one of the best sports games out there gameplay game modes the simulation side of it everything about it is really really good i played a ton of it when it came out and it came out on xbox on xbox game pass on day one which was a huge just like shock through the entire industry because nobody expected that especially because it is a sony game and sony didn't even put it on their subscription service ps now or give it as like a ps plus game or whatever but people on xbox who previously could never play this game were getting it as a part of their subscription service which was absolutely crazy when they announced it but what they're saying here is that they announced that the PlayStation 5 has just hit 10 million sales. So the PlayStation 5 is selling incredibly well. They are doing awesome. Like they're going to be able to sustain their strategy throughout this generation if they continue to sell consoles like this. Even though if you really step back and think about it, the PlayStation 5 doesn't have that much that many games to play within their first year like we're even seeing here that horizon zero dawn has been delayed until 2022 now i know i'm jumping all over the place in this segment but i just a bunch of stuff is coming to mind as i'm going so yeah horizon zero dawn is delayed until 2022 and this is just another game that was supposed to come out so it was god of war ragnarok they said before they the console came out was coming was slated for 2021 Horizon Forbidden West was slated for 2021. Gran Turismo was slated for 2021. And Ratchet and Clank, which came out. Demon's Souls and Spider-Man, which both came out along. So they got three games for PlayStation 5. But one of those games, which Spider-Man can also be accessed on PlayStation 4. So technically only really two games in an entire year that you have to have a PlayStation 5 to, to, pay, to play them. And when your strategy is go out spend 500 dollars on our hardware you have to spend that money on our hardware in order to access games you can only play on that hardware i don't think two games in a year even for a launch year is cutting it i don't think it's nearly good enough and i don't think there is very much to play on playstation from a first party standpoint this year that's just the fact of the matter and people can argue all you want and say these were blockbuster amazing triple a games but in reality these games were 10 to 15 hours long and you spent an extra ten dollars because the playstation 5 games are now we'll use us dollars instead of sixty dollars or seventy dollars and you're only getting about at max i would say 20 hours of gameplay out of them so for spending five hundred dollars and then spending seventy dollars before taxes on a brand new playstation 5 game in an entire year to me two games is not cutting it in terms of getting your value out of the console now we go back to horizon forbidden west so this is according to a report from bloomberg that the open world story of alloy is set to continue sometime in the first quarter of 2022 though an exact date has not been revealed at this time and i believe there was also another uh rumor or news going around that state of play they're going to have another one at the end of august sometime in september and they're probably going to announce it there that it is delayed 
But I mean, this all just goes back to when they when they announced the PlayStation Five. Uh, you can't. You're not going to convince me that Sony did not know right from the get go that God of War had zero chance of releasing in 2021. Gran Turismo had zero chance of releasing in 2021, and Horizon Forbidden West probably wasn't going to release in 2021. The reason I think that they announced these games saying 2021 was because you know the, the industry trend delays are all the time. Like I have no problem with delays. Like I'm not upset that Horizon for Burden West got, is going to get delayed. I'm not upset that God of War isn't releasing in 2021. It doesn't bother me. I don't find that issues with delays when you have a lot of stuff to play. My issue is I think they intentionally knew that there was no chance, but they wanted to push more consoles right along. They wanted to build that hype knowing like they were dishonest with their marketing. They knew that these games weren't going to come out, but they also knew that if they said they were going to come out in 2021, many people who we're just going to allow that initial hype and and want for a product to force them to go out and buy a console. And then you have people who are spending thousands on it because of the scalpers thinking that these games are going to come out. Now that's their fault. Like you shouldn't be spending, you shouldn't be buying consoles from scalpers. I, it's, it's a waste of money. It's a waste of time, especially now when these consoles first launch. And then you don't actually know, 100% know what you're getting I don't know, maybe the scalper has like tried the console. I don't know. Anyways, but the point being is that in 2021, the PlayStation 5 has not been a good console. It has, it's been actually one of the worst consoles launches that I've ever experienced in my life because of the quality of life features, how bad they are. And there's really nothing to play. It just my PlayStation 5 just sits there. I've played it for Spider-Man and I played it for Ratchet and Clank. In total, I've probably played actually... Spider-Man, Ratchet and Clank, and I've actually recently picked up Sackboy, uh, a big adventure, which is also available on the PlayStation 4, which I've been playing a bit of that as well. So I would say in total, maybe like this year, I would say I've played my PlayStation 5 under easily under 100 hours. This year, 100% easily under 100 hours, maybe even under, I don't want to say, f yeah, maybe even under 50, definitely maybe even under 70 hours since I've had it. So I don't know. It's not, uh, it hasn't been a great launch. And then we have the whole SSD stuff, which I'm going to talk about later in the podcast. But again, getting back to MLB 2021, the whole point of this article was to say that with MLB, the show 21, it announced that there have been 2 million copies sold, but the game has reached more than 4 million players. So what this article is pretty much saying is that they believe that the Xbox, that Xbox's strategy, Xbox Game Pass is very viable because of the attention and the amount of gamers it brings to a game when it comes onto Xbox Game Pass. So if there's 2 million copies sold, there's over 10 million PlayStation 5s, and it's reached over 4 million players, more people are playing this game most likely on Xbox, whether that is through Xbox Game Pass or even purchasing the game on Xbox. And this is something that came out from Matt Piscatella, who does the NPD stuff, which is like the sales of games and how they're doing. And MLB The Show 21 launched in, in April. And even though it came out onto Game Pass, it was still the second best selling game on, on an Xbox platform, which clearly shows you that even though it's out on Xbox Game Pass, there are people out there who maybe just play on Xbox alone, but they still want to go out and purchase the game. They still want to go out and play it, but they don't have Xbox Game Pass, so they go out and pay full price for it. And plus... MLB The Show, they have like their Diamond Dynasty stuff. And for a game like this, the more people 
you can have as a player base, the more you can grow your player base, the more money you're going to make because it just means more people are going to go out and spend on those microtransactions for a mode like Diamond Dynasty, which right there shows you just how valuable Xbox Game Pass is for games. Even if people aren't paying full price for them, they're still going to spend money in the game. So it really just shows you that developers are going to want to put their games onto Game Pass because it grows their player base. People are still going to spend money on it, whether that's microtransactions or whether that is still purchasing it fully. If either if they love the game, you get a discount when you're subscribed to Game Pass so people still go out and buy it or once it comes off Xbox Game Pass. Now, will this translate over to single player games? I do think it will. I do think that if you have a solely single player adventure there's no in-game transactions in that game you put it onto xbox game pass i personally believe that by doing that and if a lot of people access it you're going to make more money in the long run for your game because word of mouth marketing is the most powerful the more people that play it the more people are going to talk about it and you're going to be talking to your buddy who may not have xbox game pass but have a playstation or have a pc and they may go out and purchase it on steam or on playstation and we've seen this guy here mike rose talk about this previously I believe it was last year around this time where he put out his single player games from no more robots which is the publishing label for for his games uh descenders was one of his games that he put out on xbox game pass and he was he was worried that the game wasn't going to do well because of a subscription model and that nobody was going to play it or that nobody was going to continue to buy the game after playing it on xbox game pass and he says here that there was a graph that he saw the xbox was showing around internally they showed me this graph and they were showing the power of game pass and using descenders as one of the examples the graph that they had done they had to alter the graph because the spike was so good from when we went into game pass that it made it look like we had sold nothing before that point and descenders was selling great before xbox game pass it was supporting both no more robots and raid squid which are the two studios we were already talking about the next game we were going to make together. And this happened, then all of a sudden, Descender isn't just supporting both studios now, it's going to support us for the rest of our lives. It's ludicrous. So pretty much just saying, putting it into Xbox Game Pass extremely helped this single player experience. Got more eyes on it, more people played it, more people bought it. So the more attention a game gets, the better it is. That's the bottom line when it comes to any type of game that you make. The more people that get their eyes on it, no matter how their eyes come to the game, that's what you want. Like if you're a small indie developer, I don't think you're putting out your game there expecting to make millions and millions of dollars instantly. You just want people to play the game. You want people to download it. You want people to talk about it. And if it's a great game, it's going to succeed and you're going to make your money. That's the thing, whether it's on Game Pass or not. If it's a great game, people are going to talk about it through word of mouth marketing. People are going to play it on Game Pass. The people who don't have Game Pass are going to go out and buy it because of all of the attention that it is getting. And I think for a lot of these developers, that's probably the most important thing when they're putting out these new games their first games their second games if they're a single person making a video game they want people to play it so that the world knows about it they can grow and that they can go out and make more games in the future but yeah i mean at the end of the day all of this like rhetoric about xbox game pass isn't viable is, is stupidity to me microsoft is a two trillion dollar company i think they know what they're doing when it comes to game pass i think they're it is successful i think it will continue to be successful and it's just going to continue to grow as more games come out. Like one of the questions within this article, I believe was, is Elder Scrolls 6 going to be as big as Elder Scrolls 5, considering that it is on Xbox Game Pass? And in my opinion, I think Elder Scrolls 6 is, 6 is going to be 
exponentially bigger than Elder Scrolls V faster because it's going to be accessible instantly. By the time that game comes out, you're probably going to have the smart TV app, probably going to have the streaming stick. You're going to have Android. You're going to have xCloud on your phone through Android. You're going to have uh, Xboxes. There's going to be more install bases of Xboxes. You're going to have PC instantly. You're going to have access to all of those ecosystems where people are going to be able to access and play this game. And I know people are thinking, well, it's not going to be on PlayStation and it's not going to be on the Nintendo Switch. And those are huge install bases. Yes, I can agree with that point. However, the install base of people on their phone and the install base of people with a smart TV far surpasses the amount of people who have a Nintendo Switch or a PlayStation. And having access to all of those streams instantly, I think is going to allow this game to easily surpass Elder Scrolls V in, in terms of how many people play it. And yes, Elder Scrolls V is literally on everything now. I mean, it wasn't instantly literally on everything, but it is now. So it's going to be, it's a huge game, but I think Elder Scrolls VI will will do just as well and, and pass it. And at the end of the day, this is just going to be a topic that people continue to debate because the actual full numbers, I don't believe are just like formally out there. They give us like the percentages of increase in revenues and stuff like that, but we don't actually know the full details of how it really works economically. Phil Spencer has given us the lowdown of how they pay developers, the, de the, the different deals and stuff like that, and that it is profitable. And I don't think that they would continue to push it if it was something that was just completely unprofitable. And it's going to continue to grow. There's going to be more subscribers. Last time, I think there was 18. They haven't given us a number yet. If people have been saying this around like 23 now, but could even be way more than that or, or less. Who knows? And as the first party games start to come in, the subscribers will exponentially just continue to increase, especially as, as like Starfield comes in uh, the other Bethesda titles. All right, so to end off today's show, I wanted to talk about Halo and Halo Infinite and the tech preview that I've been able to play over the last couple of days. I've been able to check it out on the Xbox Series X, the Xbox Series S, and on PC. And I have to say, just right off of the bat, I am absolutely loving this game. Even though it's a tech preview, even though you're playing against bots, albeit the bots are decent, like you're not going to lose to the bots in a game. You'll, they'll kill you, but you're not going to lose a game to the bots. I mean, at least you shouldn't. But they move, they jump, they go left and right, they strafe, they they run back and forth and all that kind of stuff. So it really allows you to test out hitting headshots and, and things like that. So overall, the bots thing isn't a big deal for this tech preview. The point of this preview is to give you a feel of how Halo Infinite is going to feel in the multiplayer and how it's going to be different from Halo 5 because that's obviously we're going into the next Halo people want to know what did they change what did they improve and is this game going to be better than Halo 5's multiplayer so like I said I've played it on three platforms and I absolutely love it now when it comes to Halo in general halo multiplayer there's i think there's always like the two sides of the coin for most people there's the people that want halo to always be the same want to be like halo 3 halo 2 keep a very classic halo which is amazing gameplay and then there's the other people who don't mind modernizing halo like halo 4 and halo 5 me personally i'm probably on the side of the coin where i'm okay with modernizing the game as long as it it's done properly i found Halo 5 was one of my favorite multiplayers in the entire franchise of the game. However, there were definitely things there that 
were kind of annoying and at times I could have done without like the some of the Spartan abilities and the dash and all kind of stuff. I thought they implemented well for what that multiplayer was. I still think that is one of the, if not the best Halo multiplayer to date. But there's, like I said, I, I would be okay if they didn't add in like the dash and stuff like that. With Halo Infinite, there are a couple of things that I think make this game or are going to make this game the best Halo multiplayer, surpassing Halo 5, surpassing Halo 3, surpassing Halo 2. And it is that they have done that perfect balance between the classic Halo feel, the classic Halo movement, and the modernized Halo feel and movement. So by that I mean there is still a sprint in the game, but there is no dash. And the sprint is like barely faster than your natural speed, your natural walking movement, natural running movement. And you utilize it really to get from one quick spot to another but it should really just be used tactically you can easily go through an entire match without using sprint at all and i think they've really struck that balance of adding in something like sprint which i i don't know why people are so against sprint i mean you're a spartan you are just an absolutely beast of a being with all of these abilities you're in if this was anything realistic it would be you'd have sprinting so i'm okay that there's sprint in halo and i've always been okay with the fact that they added sprint in halo but they've done it so perfectly in halo infinite where it doesn't take away from that classic halo field and that classic halo gameplay i think it what i was reading was like it's only like two percent faster than your regular movement speed when you're not using sprint and i think it, it does a great job it, it almost it's almost like so minimal that it could be seem seemingly useless and that is why only i guess that would be my feedback to this tech preview is that maybe up the sprint a tiny bit but not too much where it becomes a huge advantage or becomes something that you have to use all the time maybe up until like three or four percent or something faster and then it'll probably it will be that perfect balance i wouldn't be surprised if they do something like that but as of right now the movement is one of my favorite things in halo infinite i, I think it, they they just did such a great job of striking a balance between classic halo and the modern halo the next thing i absolutely love about this game is about this tech preview is the guns and the gunplay and the sound of the guns the gunplay is just so spot on it's so like just satisfying when you're getting a headshot and you're taking out an enemy and then you're, you're starting with your your mk50 sidekick the new pistol which is probably my favorite addition to this entire game right now is that new pistol it's just so fun to use and it's a weapon it's a gun you start with like you can go through an entire match and just be picking off people with that pistols and switching to your ar to finish them off if, you, if you're not hitting every shot with a head on in the head so it's awesome like the guns are awesome the feel of the guns are awesome and the actual sounds of the gun is, is some of the best sounding guns I've, I've ever heard in a shooter and in Halo, in the Halo franchise. Like, they sound strong, they sound powerful, there's a big pop to them. You feel like you're you're shooting a powerful gun. Now, if we go through all of the guns in, in this tech preview, there, there's a decent amount that you get to try out. And honestly, I've liked every single one of them, and, and I, I don't know what to say. I've just really enjoyed them. So we got the M... A 40 AR, which is the, the your classic Halo assault rifle. You know the you start with that gun. Then you got the BR 75, which is the battle rifle is the the Halo gun in multiplayer. It's the gun that is the best to use. It's always been the the most popular, all that kind of stuff. And the new Halo Infinite battle rifle feels great. 
and that's what I love about it is that it feels great. It feels like it it doesn't take away from that classic Halo BR feel. You don't need to aim down sight. You don't need to do any of that stuff. You can, it works, but you can just play like you would play in Halo 2 and Halo 3 and just go around and pick headshots. And it sounds absolutely incredible. The sidekick I've already talked about, love it. Then there's the shotgun. There's the needler in this tech preview and the needler. Oh my God, the needler. It's so awesome in this. Like, it's so satisfying to kill somebody with the needler in this game. And you see the explosion, you see like the the crystals and, and just the the lighting when they explode off of your enemy it's just an awesome feeling and and they did a great job with the needler which i'm not surprised then we have the vk78 commando which is a awesome new gun to the game it's a new automatic a new automatic weapon where you can hold down the trigger trigger and it'll shoot rapidly you can also just click it and it'll it'll be a lot more precise and gun feels great it's going to take i think a little bit of getting used to in terms of the spray pattern and the recoil because it can definitely you can lose control of it if if you're not careful if you're just holding it down but it's definitely a welcomed addition it's not overpowered i didn't feel like it was overpowered do you think a gun like that in halo that shoots that fast and is powerful would be able to easily out duel somebody who doesn't have it but it's you really have to be able to control the weapon for it to be successful and i think they're they have the the practice range where you're going to be able to practice using the weapon. I think that's going to come in very handy as this game continues to go on because learning the spray patterns and making sure that you're controlling that recoil because you can easily get picked off with somebody who has it's just great with the pistol with boom five headshots quickly as you're as you're using the uh, VK78 commando trying to trying to spray them down. Then the sniper, this sniper. I mean, the sniper is awesome. I mean, sniper has always been such a classic weapon in Halo. It's always been one of the most powerful weapons, one of the most crucial weapons to control the map, to control the the game that you're playing. And it's going to be like that again. The sniper feels absolutely great. And I'm happy that they they just gave us that like classic sniper feel when it comes to Halo. So that, that was very exciting. The plasma pistol in it, in this tech preview, you got the pulse carbine, which is an assault rifle from the banished and it's like three shot pulse um it's decent i didn't i wasn't very successful with it but i'm sure a lot of people will be and i'm sure if i practice more i will be successful with it next we have the ravager which is shoots like plasmas that explode at your enemy i honestly didn't really use the ravager that much i don't have a crazy opinion on it i wasn't very successful with it but it definitely seems like a gun that could sway the balance of a match if you if you use it properly and then we have next the heat wave the heat wave i absolutely loved it was like this gun where you can shoot out um these i don't know what they're called i guess just like explosive blasts either vertically or horizontally so you press the left trigger and it changes your shot pattern horizontally would be if you're targeting like one guy one enemy you want to, if you hit him he's gonna die and then um no sorry that's vertically and then horizontally would be if you're targeting a group of enemies that are all beside each other and then you can potentially take out a bunch at the same time and i thought that was a really cool gun it definitely has a lot of strategy behind it you don't want to waste your bullets shooting the wrong way or shooting the wrong um orientation and I think it'll be a really fun game to use as we go through through the game as it continues to evolve. You have the skewer. So the skewer was um, interesting. I, I didn't use this one that much either, but I, I did use it enough to kind of understand it. 
they're saying the skewer is going to be mainly like an anti-tank um, or an anti-vehicle weapon, which is going to be great for a big team battle when that drops. But it's pretty much just a um, rocket launcher with a spike. So you shoot a spike, you hit the guy, and then and then he'll die. Um, and it's going to be used for heavy damage on, on vehicles. So it was cool. I would love to see them do more with this gun since it is a spike. Like, I don't know. Get some more animations where if you, if you hit a guy with it dead on and he's near a wall, he like goes into the wall or like shoots him further. Or you see like the spike go through him and then him going flying across the map. That would be like the coolest thing ever. And you could definitely do that with that gun. So those are the weapons and all the weapons felt great. There was nothing there that I thought that was too overpowered. Maybe I haven't played enough to, to really get feel the overpower again we're also playing with bots so maybe that's why i haven't felt yet you're not going to really feel a lot of this stuff until you have other humans on the other side taking advantage of it and and just destroying people and that'll be a, a better way to balance it but i think the point of this tech preview wasn't for balancing issues more it was more for do people like what we've done with this halo with this multiplayer are they going to be satisfied when this game comes out and is there going to be backlash to some of the changes that they've made and i honestly don't think there will be from what i've been seeing too on social media is that the, re the reception for this has been overwhelmingly positive and that's just the gameplay the the music the halo soundtrack is in my opinion the best or at least one of the best soundtracks in all of video games and just sitting in the menu listening to the music it was incredible there's a, a difference to the music i think it was it's like more bassy now more rocky but it sounds great like that's this is a game that i want to get a soundtrack for when it when it drops so the graphics look game looks amazing i mean you're looking at the footage right now if you're watching this on youtube obviously it's not going to do a full justice like you're not it's not going to be in 4k but even in 1080p 1440p playing it on the series s the game looked and ran great it, it looks awesome like you can tell they've done a lot of work since that first gameplay demo that they launched back that got all of the backlash and when it comes to halo infinite in general i was one of those people who when they saw when i saw the the first gameplay demo it got the backlash i thought the game looked incredibly fun I didn't even notice some of the polishing issues with the graphics. I was like, okay, this game looks like Halo, like fun Halo. They've added stuff like the grapple shot, and uh, it just looked like a fun game that I want to get my hands on right away. And then they delayed it, and I was completely okay with the delay because I wanted the best possible Halo when it came to release. And you can tell within that year that they've delayed it, and as we, we head closer to November, they've taken advantage of it to polish it off now this build apparently is like three months old or something so this is gonna this isn't even like a build that we're gonna get close to when november comes around we're gonna get a, a farly more polished build than this which is crazy to think about because this is so it's just so good it's the best way to, to put it like i think this is going to be the best halo multiplayer to date because they've they've balanced the classic halo with the modern halo in a perfect way that fans from all sides are going to love and um i just can't wait to see how it continues continues to evolve and 
my sentiment with 343 was they were going to knock this game out of the park and I think that I'm going to be right when this game officially launches. And Halo for me is just like, it's the game that I'm the most hyped for this year. It's a game I've been the most hyped for since they announced it. I've been waiting a long time for it. It's one of my favorite franchises of all time. May be my favorite franchise of all time. Halo may be my, my favorite franchise of all time because there's just so much to Halo that it, as a part of my gaming life, like lots of nostalgia. It was a game when I got on the original Xbox uh it's it just completely blew me away it was like one of those awe moments where you you never forget the first time that you load up halo combat evolved and you play it on and you land on halo and you play and you see the semi-open world you're running around you're looking up you see the halo ring the graphics for that time were absolutely amazing you see some some covenant for the first time that the AI is actually kind of smart. They they're talking. You're you're throwing a plasma grenade. All those like little things that you just remember from nostalgia, and uh, it it was just one of the most, in my opinion, for me, one of the most amazing moments in my entire life from playing video games. And how I got the game too was also pretty funny because when I when Halo Combat Evolved came out, I was only about I want to say like. When it came out, I think I was like 10, but I didn't get it until like I was like 11 or 12 probably. And it was a game that my all my friends who had an Xbox had, but I didn't have it because my parents wouldn't buy me. They buy it for me. They thought it was too violent and and all that stuff. I They always tried to keep me away from all of like the shooters and all those things when I was a young kid, which I mean, that's good. Like those are good parents, right? But but um, my friends had it. I would read about it in magazines and all this kind of stuff. And then randomly on Christmas, I got it. And I was just like so shocked that I got it. And, and I remember looking at my parents. I remember looking at my, I think it was like my mom who gave it to me. And then my dad looking at my mom saying, what the hell? Like I could see it in, in his facial expression. What the hell did you do? We, we, we had decided that we were not getting this soon because it's too violent. And then like, by that time it was too late, but I just, I was so happy. One of the greatest Christmas gifts I ever got. And, um, when I popped it in, it's just something I'll never forget. So it's just like has such a, a big place in my gaming heart, if you want to put it that way. And then you got Halo 2. Loved Halo 2, the multiplayer, the campaign, all that kind of stuff. Halo 3 was a game that like I literally skipped school so many times to play and put so many hours into it with my friends. And I, th I think I was in high school at that time. Then Halo 4. Halo 4 was like... Uh, it was, I enjoyed the campaign, the multiplayer. I think I played a decent amount, but probably the least Halo that I've played. And then we just, and then Halo 5 came out in 2015 on the Xbox One. And I loved Halo 5. Like, I absolutely loved Halo 5. The, the only thing I didn't like about Halo 5 was the story. And I'll agree with everyone who says that the story is bad. It wasn't a great story. They definitely kind of lied a bit in their marketing leading up to the Halo 5 story. And I wanted to play way more as the Master Chief, but the multiplayer was some of the most fun multiplayer I've ever had played. I thought it was the best Halo multiplayer at that time. And and the gameplay in the campaign, I don't care what anybody says, you can shit all over the story, but the gameplay in the campaign was extremely fun. It was very well done. And it was a great Halo game in that sense. Now, the story wasn't there, and I'm hoping that the campaign for Halo Infinite is going to make up for all of that. And I know there's leaks right now for the campaign story and if if i see one leak i'm gonna be so so angry and i just i'm gonna have to like somehow ignore all of this stuff now until halo until the campaign drops but you from from a 
gameplay and multiplayer standpoint, I thought Halo 5 was incredible. And that's why I was very confident that 343 was going to knock Halo Infinite out of the park. Like, people had so many doubts, and I found, like, all of the doubts came from the fact that they wrote a bad narrative story. It's like they totally forgot about the gameplay that they implemented into the game, which I thought was great. So I, I was fully confident that they, because I knew they listened to the community. I knew they listened to the people who didn't like some of the the modernizations they did to the multiplayer. And I was sure that they were going to come back with something with Halo Infinite, which they've done, that strikes that perfect balance between the modern and the, and the and the classic Halo, and, and they did it. They've they've absolutely knocked it out of the park. So if you're somebody on the fence right now wondering if Halo Infinite is going to be good and you haven't played the tech preview, all I have to say is that you should be excited. You should be excited if you're a Halo fan. You should be excited if you're a first-person shooter fan. And, it's, and what is crazy about this is that we're going to have Call of Duty, we're going to have Battlefield 2042 at the same time, all releasing in the same time frame. And I honestly believe that Halo Infinite is going to take the crown over all of them. I think it's going to probably be the most played game. It's going to be so fun once we get the other game modes too to play like Big Team Battle and all the vehicles to try out. Like this is we're, this is just the the tip of the iceberg. This is just a little tease because it's only the four v four arena that we got. And the maps themselves have also been decent in in this tech preview. I mean, there's been three live fire recharge and bizarre. I haven't played bizarre yet. I will get to that today. It's like I just haven't had time. But I've been playing a lot of live fire and a lot of recharge. And live fire is a fun map. There's good flow, good movement. You can't camp. Like you're continuously moving around. There's the weapon placement is decent and it's not going to be anyone's favorite map, I don't think, but I think it'll be good enough to, to be an adequate map within Halo and, and overall a good map. And then you have Recharge. Recharge is pretty awesome. I actually really, really like this map. One of the big things with Recharge is that they have the grapple shot on there and there's a lot of verticality like shooting down at people and it, it's just a really well-designed Halo map. So this tech preview has absolutely knocked it out of the park and the whole entire game when it gets released is going to do the same because if this is a build from three months ago it really can only go up from here like at the end of the day it can really only go up from here unless they do some stupid crazy balancing stuff that ruins it and, and i really doubt they will so 343 has shut up everybody at the end of the day, I think they've just completely shut up everybody who, who were doubters, haters, who thought like, oh, it got delayed. It's going to be crappy. Halo Infinite is going to fail and all this kind of stuff. Because the multiplayer is already this much fun. There's still so much to come to, to it that we are forgetting there's still an entire campaign to come out with this gameplay. So, I don't know. I'm extremely excited for this game. And... um it seems like it's even running well on Xbox One. I haven't played it on Xbox One, but if anyone's listening to this and they've played it on Xbox One, let me know how it's going. We saw a quick video of it on Twitter running on Xbox One. I think it was a 30 frames per second, but it was smooth enough or it was like for an Xbox One, it was decent. It looked good. It looked like it was running running well. I I think it was 30. Maybe it was 60. I'm not sure. Just low settings, like low graphical settings. But um, yeah. I guess to sum it all up, Halo Infinite is awesome already, and it's not even out yet. So it's going to be an incredible fall 
It's going to be incredible November, and I just can't wait for the launch. One thing I do really hope they do, though, is that they just announced and released some crazy special edition because I want to get my hands on a special edition. I know it's on Game Pass, but I'm willing to get my hands and play and buy any sort of cool special edition they put out for Halo Infinite because I think this may be one of the last Halo games that we get in terms of like a brand new release. Considering they're calling it Halo Infinite, considering the multiplayer is free to play, they may just make this a games as a service now and just continuously add on to the multiplayer for years and years to come and just continue to add like downloadable story content to the campaign. We'll have to wait and see on that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. So if they release some sort of really cool special edition, I will be one of the first people trying to get it. But I'm I'm sure a lot of you out there have played the tech preview. Let me know what you think about it in the comments below. And that's gonna wrap it up uh, for this week's Plumecast. Thank you all again for listening, for stopping by, for watching my weekly videos. It really does mean a lot to me. I'm almost at 5,000 subscribers now. I think I'm about like 30 or so away from hitting that 5,000 subscriber mark, which to me is absolutely mind boggling. But um, yeah, it's definitely stay tuned. I'm probably gonna try to come up with some sort of giveaway for it. It's not gonna be like anything crazy or anything like that, right? But I'm gonna, I wanna give back to you guys just for all the support that you've been giving me. So I'm gonna try to do something with that. And um, yeah, I will uh, catch you throughout the week in my weekly videos as usual and uh, next week on the Plumecast.